Lou. Good morning. We're going to be in Revelations chapter 5 in the ESV. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open a scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open a scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open a scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. everybody. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Jalen Baker. I have the pleasure of serving as a pastoral resident here. And um, you know, it's funny because I'm technically like a leader in well teams. And I feel like if you would have asked me what we were doing on September 10th, I would have answered it kind of the same way. We're just doing what teenagers do at a park that I happen to be at leading, I guess, kind of sort of thing. So, but apparently we're having a field day, which is going to be fun. And what that field day is going to be, ask Ryan and Jenna Fisher, because they're the actual, you know what I'm saying, leaders. So I, I want to share like a quick, it's not a story. So y'all remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, one of my friends came to hear me preach, uh, Sean Tripline. And the first thing he said to me after the sermon, he was like, bro, I always enjoy hearing you, but you were up there for 45 minutes and 13 seconds. And I was like, bro, first of all, you petty because you didn't have to put 13 seconds on there. You could have just said 45 minutes. 
And then secondly, I was like, I'd be doggone. I have been shaped and molded into the image of Scott Jones. <laughs> I used to be a 25, 30-minute preacher, and I'm up here for 45 minutes because Scott Jones has literally just shaped me in his image. So I was like, doggone it. You become your context, and you become, I guess, your pastor. So I was like, doggone it. Here we go. So I, now I'm like, am I going to be here for 45 minutes again? Is that, is, that, is that who I am now? And then I went back, and I looked at some sermons that Scott preached. It was like 55 minutes, an hour. I'm like, oh, I ain't going to do that. So we still good. We still good. We still good. So it's still something to celebrate, you know, when I, when I, when I get up here to preach. But, um, but yeah. Scott Jones, Scott Jones, I, lo- I love my pastor, love the sermons, and he definitely has had a great influence on me, and uh, I- I'm grateful, but that was just so funny when he pointed it out to me. 45 minutes and 13 seconds, it's, it's etched into my brain now. But I'm, but I'm excited this morning, though, church, because, well, excited and a little bit sad because we're in the last sermon of our series in Revelation, and I have to say that I have thoroughly enjoyed this series for a few reasons. It's been really cool to see Jesus speak to churches, right? Because as we've seen Jesus talk to churches, we are able to, in many ways, insert ourselves into the churches that we've been been looking at, and it's as if Jesus has been speaking directly to us, right? The ways in which he's been encouraging churches to persevere and endure through hard times, he's been encouraging us to do those things as well. The way in which he's been telling churches to not compromise in their faith, to try to fit in with the surrounding culture, speaks directly to us. So I just love the ways in which the, the truths of the Bible transcend culture and they transcend context, right? These truths are eternal truths that have spoken directly to us, and I've thoroughly enjoyed Uh, uh, going through them. So today, we come to a text where we get the last image of this series, and and the last image that we're going to look at is an image of Jesus. And one of the things that we have to remember about this series is that Revelation is a book that is written to a context of, 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 of of a first century Roman audience. And this audience was constantly Right, confronted with images, with 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 many kind of messages that were visual of the Roman vision of the world. Right, so there was there were many buildings and statues and festivals that 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 left powerful impressions on how to lead an adulterous life. So Jesus recognizes that his church that his church says are constantly confronted with these images. They're constantly confronted with these temptations. So he says, I'm going to step in, fill in the gap, and I'm going to give you vivid imagery of who I am. And and when when you remember the image that I have given you, you're going to remember the attributes of who I am. You're going to remember who is the true ruler, who is the true king of this world. So when you look at these statues, when you look at these festivals, when you look at these buildings that, 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 that have been made to worship false gods and emperors and Caesars, when you look at these things, you will be reminded of the image that I have given you, right? So, so, so Jesus presents these churches with prophetic counter-images, counter-narratives, 
right? And he also has done the very interesting thing of saying this. He said, I also call you as my church to be a counterimage, right? So when the world looks at you as my church, it should run counter to what they're doing. It should run counter to their beliefs, to their way of life, to their entire mentality towards life, right? So you as my church are also a counter image just as I am as your Savior. Just like I am set apart, I also call you to be set apart. And he's, he's walked us through how this looks and how we ought to do this. He's given us warnings of how not to fit into the culture, but how to be, but how to, but how to be set apart how to stand out as his people, right? And this morning, he gives us one final image. And, and, and this, this, this image that he gives us this morning is one of a slain lamb. And we're going to talk about throughout this morning why this image is so utterly important. But before we get to there, I just mentioned this a, a few seconds ago, but I think it's important for us to also remember one of the fundamental questions, right, that Revelations has been asking throughout this, the, the, the series and throughout the text we've been reading is this. To whom does this world belong to? Who is the actual ruler of this world? And see, Rome had a very concrete answer to that question, right? So therefore, the, so therefore these churches were constantly, constantly, constantly bombarded with these Roman visions and these Roman answers to that very question. And Jesus says, I need you to combat that with the actual answer, which is who? I am the ruler of the cosmos. I am the ruler of this world. I am the true king, right? And, 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 and the way that you remember this is in two ways. It's, through, it's, it's in through how you live your life, right? And it's in how you think, right? What you set your mind on is a helpful way for you to remember who the true king is. How you live your life, how you conduct your life is also a helpful reminder of who the true king is. Because now you know who you're living for, and you also know who your ultimate allegiances are to. Not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of God. And who is the king of this kingdom? None other than the slain lamb who is Jesus the Christ. So this morning, for our text this morning, I want to tag this text, the conquering king. The conquering king. Because I think we, we, as we read our text this morning, Jesus is going to completely flip how we think of a conquering king, right? He's going to completely sort of like reverse our notions of what it means to be a conqueror. And I can't wait to dig into it this morning. So with that, let's dig into it. Let's start with verse 1. Let's pull up the scripture right here. There it is. So we meet John once more, and John is giving us a vision. Just like he did in chapter 1, when we started this series, he's now given us a vision of, who, of, 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 of what Jesus is revealing to him. So here's how it starts. He says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
Now, this scroll that John speaks of, right, this scroll contains God's sovereign will that, that, that he has determined that the world is going to be rectified. The world is going to be set right again through the will that I have determined, right? So this scroll contains God's ultimate plan to set things right again. This scroll contains God's ultimate plan to inaugurate the new world order where there will be no sin anymore, where there will be no sadness anymore. It's this, this, this scroll contains everything that God, that, that God is going to do in the end to, to inaugurate his eternal kingdom. So that's what's in this scroll, and that's why it's important. And, and, and the fact that it is sealed with seven seals, seals indicates that it cannot be opened until the, the right time, and then it can only be opened by the right person. So anybody just can't open this, open this scroll, right? And then John says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, right? Who is worthy to execute the plans of God? to execute the, the, the vision of God and, and who, who, who can truly usher in and inaugurate and execute the, 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 the gracious new world order that God has set. Who is worthy to do this? Asked the angel. And, 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 and John sees that no one answers this question. There, there, there's utter silence. When the angel asks this question, no one speaks up. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. Silence. No one answered. And moving on to the next verse, once this happens, right, it reduces John to tears. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll, look into it. He weeps. He's crying. And why is he crying? Why is he weeping? Well, he's weeping because John right now believes that since no one can open the scroll, then that means that the world will remain as it is. That means that sadness will continue. That means that brokenness will continue. That means that sin will continue. That means that death will continue. Despair will continue. That's why he's crying. If no one can open the scroll, then we're stuck here. There is no way out. So he weeps. He's reduced to tears. Because God, I thought that you promised that better was coming. I thought that you promised that eternity was coming. I thought that you said if we persevered, we would reach the promised land. So he's weeping. He's sad. But <laughs> let's go to the next verse. I'm sorry. Go back up, Rich. I'm sorry. sorry. My, my B. My B. But one of the elders comes up to him. And, and, and remember, the elders are representatives of redeemed humanity, right? So, so another human being, just like John, they come over to him and they say, hey, 
Don't cry. Weep no more. You should not be crying. And John's like, why? Why, why? why should I be crying? Look. Look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. The elder says, look, there he is. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and, and what this references, church, is this. In, 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 in the Old Testament, the patriarch Jacob, right, he, he, he blesses the tribe of Judah by saying that you are a lion's cub. That, that's, what he, that's, that's, how he, that's what he calls Judah, which, which, which signifies that one day the lion will rise up out of this tradition, out of this tribe, and will one day save and redeem humanity. And then he says, you are the root of David. Isaiah says that out of the shoot from Jesse, the roots uh, the, 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 the roots of, of the new, the roots, the roots that will bear fruit will come from Jesse's line. He says this in Isaiah. And Jesse is the father of King David. And Jesus is in that line. So the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, the one who was said to redeem all of humanity, the one that would save all humanity, look, he's here. So you do not have to cry. The Savior is here. The one who we've heard about, the one who was prophesied about, the one who, you, who you've heard speak to you, he has not left. He has not forsaken you. He's still here. And he can open the scroll. He can open the scroll and his seven seals. He's the one that can do it. Now we can go to the next one, Rachel. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the others, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So you can imagine, right, as the elder, as the human being is comforting John, he rises up, turns around, expecting to see a lion because it was just reference. But what he sees is a lamb. Huh. He says, I see a lamb standing there, and not just any lamb, but I see a lamb that was slain. A lamb that was slain. And, and what this also references, going back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the way that sins were atoned for was through the sacrifice of animals, through the sacrifice of lambs. But Jesus is the ultimate lamb of God, the lamb that was slain. He was the ultimate sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that we need to atone for all of sin, all of humanity's sin, right? Look, here is the Lamb of God, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. I see standing there. This person, this, this, this one who is worthy, this one who is more powerful than any other being in the world, and he's a lamb. A lamb that has been slain. But that's not it. With seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent out into all the earth. Now, interestingly enough, the biblical, the biblical number seven stands for, symbolizes completeness, right? So seven eyes symbolizes his wisdom, his omniscience. He's completely wise. His, his, seven, his seven horns symbolizes his strength, his omnipotence. He's completely all-powerful. 
And seven spirits symbolizes that, that the complete spirit of God has been sent out into all of the earth. Right? So, yes, he is a lamb. But we have to recognize that the lion is a lamb. Right? That, 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 that the conquering king is the lamb that was slain. Right? So it reverses our notions of what it means to be a conqueror. Right? Jesus conquered not by force, but through death. He conquered not by violence, but through sacrifice. This is what it means to be a conqueror in the kingdom of God. Right? If you want to overcome your sin, it takes sacrifice. You have to die to your flesh. If you want to overcome the circumstances of your life, you have to die to your earthly mindset, your earthly way of thinking, and, and pick up a heavenly mindset and a heavenly mentality. Sacrifice, not force. That's kingdom theology. That's kingdom living. And that's how we do things here. The conquering king. And, and, and recognize to church that because he is this conquering king, because he is this land, this, 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 this land that has been slain, right? It recognizes that the conquering king was wounded on his way to victory. <laughs> I love this. Can I see why? Because Jesus is really representative, right, of our overall human experience, right? Jesus because he was human in a broken world, right, had to go through some of the same trials and tribulations that we go through. Jesus didn't live an easy life. Jesus' life was not rainbow and sunshine. Jesus went through a lot of stuff just like you and I. But, 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 but even though he was wounded, he still remained victorious. He was a wounded king. He was a scarred king. Why is this good news for you and I? Because Jesus looks at you and I. He sees your wounds. Ah, God. He sees your scars. He says, I know. I know. I see you totally and completely. I've been there. And don't you ever for a minute think that you can't conquer in the midst of your scars. Because see, the devil made the same mistake with me. He thought that because I died, he won. He thought that because I was buried, he won. But what he failed to realize was the power within me was even greater than death. So therefore, the same power that propelled me to overcome in the midst of my wounds lives within you. It's in you too. My child. So, yes, you will live this life wounded, yes, but victorious nonetheless. Yes, you will. You will be wounded. You will be scarred, just like your Savior. And, oh, what a sweet relief it is to know that I can go boldly before the throne and look at my king and see that he has scars, too. And see that he has wounds too. And because he has scars and wounds, he knows exactly how to treat mine. Ha! He knows exactly 
how to, how, to, how to guide me, how to counsel me, how to advise me through the troubles of this life. Oh, I'm so glad that we don't just serve any old Savior. We serve a wounded Savior. We serve a scarred king. And it, it, it is with those scars that we still see him overcome. We still see him come out victorious. And the good news for you and I today is that that is also our outcome. But, 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 but you have to stay connected. Huh. You got you to keep the faith, right? You, you, you got you to you remain faithful that, that, that even as you're going through, it's still important to pray. Even as you're going through, it's still important to worship. Even as you're going through, it's still important to talk to other believers and confide in them and let them know what you're going through so that they can care for you well. We're still called to be children of the kingdom in the midst of. We're still called to live a life a spiritually rich life, just like our Savior, even in the midst of our scars. And the good news is also that because of the power of the Spirit, it gives us, it, 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 it gives us sweet relief. It gives us, uh, uh, it, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that as long as I keep walking, as long as I keep moving, as long as I stay connected to the Savior, as long as I remain obedient, and as long as I remain steadfast in my faith, I know that I will be victorious in the end, and I will also be victorious in the now. What does victory mean in the now? It means that we are living in the will of God. It means that, that, that we have the presence of God with us. That's what victory means now. And as long as, we and as long as we have the presence of God, as long as we are in the will of God, we have access to every inheritance that comes with being a child of God. We have access to peace that surpasses understanding. We have access to joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. We have access to all of the spiritual blessings that are associated with being a child of God. God be for us. <laughs> Who can be against us? A conquering king. Jesus teaches us how to conquer. Not, not, not by force, not through violence, but through death and through sacrifice. This is how you conquer the situations in your life. This is how you win in your life by following in the example of the lamb who was slain. Let the church say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's keep going. What, what does he have for us next? And I think it's, we're in verse 7 now. So because Jesus is who he is, right, because he is the resurrected king, it says that he went and took the scroll and from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So because Jesus is the one who is worthy, he goes and he takes the scroll from his father and he announces that I am the one 
<laughs> who's going to implement this thing. I am the one who's going to execute my Father's divine and sovereign will. You can be excited now because sin is about to go away. Brokenness is about to go away. I'm about to make the world brand new. So get excited. And, and guess what? They did. Let's, let's, let's go to the next verse. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, go with that. There go. the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Of course, this is their reaction. Can you imagine? Can you imagine at one moment thinking that all hope was lost and then looking and seeing the one who could open the scrolls? And as he announces his, his divinity, as he announces his authority, all I want to do now is worship. All I want to do now is give you praise because I'm thankful that you are the one that's going to inaugurate a new world order. So I am excited and I can't praise. So in these next series of verses, what we have here is um, we have three explosions of worship. And I forgot to say this at the beginning. Let me say it now. So this is, a, this, this is also a particular way in which that Jesus is giving an alternate vision to the Roman world. How is he doing it? So in the Roman world, right, in the Roman court, what they would do is they would circle around the emperor and sing praises to the emperor. And usually the emperor would have a scroll in his hand, right? And, and, and they would bow down before him because he was a so-called ruler of the world. So Jesus, even here, right, he's giving this audience particularly an alternate vision of who's actually in control, who, who, of who's actually worthy of being bowed down to, of who's actually worthy of, sing, of having songs of praises singing to him, right? So even in this image, we see a prophetic what? Counter image of what the culture is used to seeing. So now we, we, we get to this part. And there are three explosions of worship, right? And, 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 and they're worshiping God. They're worshiping Jesus because he is the one. What, what, what do they say first? They say, let's go down a little bit, Rachel. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let's get into it. So they sang a new song. And this is literal. They sang a new song because... This is a new revelation, right? So it has just been revealed to them that Jesus is the one, right? Why is he the one? He is the one because he was slain. He is the one because he was the one that, they, that, the, that the prophets prophesied about. He is the one because he took away the sins of the world. That's what makes him worthy. And then they say, and by your blood... You ransom people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, here, they are using language 
from the Exodus story. How so? Well, we remember in the Exodus story, right, obviously God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. And the way God rescues them was through a lamb, right? So Moses instructs the people to, to slaughter a lamb, and I want you to take its blood and paint it on your doors. That way when God strikes, he's going to pass you over, right? And as he's passing you over, you're going to be able to escape and go on to freedom, right, and escape from this, from, from, from this slavery. Now, they're saying here that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God is making a new purchase. So in the Old Testament, he purchased one specific group of people, and his plan was to partner with them, make them kingdom of priests, make them a kingdom of priests so that they can reign with him. But now in this New Testament world order, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has purchased a multicultural people, right? It's not just one ethnic group this time. It's now every ethnic group. It's Jews, it's Arabs, it's Italians, it's Africans, it's Filipinos, it's Latinos, it's, 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 it's all ethnicities of the earth. He says that I have purchased, purchased every ethnic group so that they can reign with me for the rest of time. And you know, we read this text as a multi-ethnic church and we shout amen, right? Because... As a church, we have committed ourselves to, to, to embodying this vision of heaven and, and saying that we don't have to wait until heaven to fully realize a multi-ethnic global church, but we actually can begin that process right now. We actually can begin to, to, to truly appreciate the diversity and the, the, the differences of God's creation right now. And again, we read this and we shout amen. But church, if I'm being honest, it's easier to embrace this vision than it is to live it out, right? It's easy to say, I want this. I go to a multi-ethnic church, right? It's easy to say that I participate in multi-ethnic worship, singing songs in different languages, right? That's very easy to do, just to, be in it, just to be a passive participant. But to actually live it out, to actually really bring this vision to life is hard work. And you may ask, why is it hard work, Brother Jalen? Well, let me, let, that's, that, that's a phenomenal question. Let me see if I can break it down for you. Why is it, why, why is it hard work? Here it is. What we have to realize, it's that obviously we live in a broken world. It's obvious. But a part of that broken world is the sin of racism and sexism, right, for example. And, and, and what we have to realize is that since we have grown up in a world, particularly in a country that has been racist, that has been sexist, right, we have taken these sins in just like we've taken in the sins of pride, of lust, of selfishness. But see, 
It's, 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 there I say, politically correct in a church to say that the Spirit of God can weed those kinds of sins out. But when it comes to the sin of racism and sexism, oh my God, you're making a political statement. You're making a political statement. That's not a spiritual statement. You're making a political statement. No, 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 no. These are sins. These are spiritual problems. So as a multi-ethnic church, we have to begin to, to, to understand that in order for us to live out what it means to be a multi-ethnic community, it, it, it begins and ends with Jesus' second, second greatest commandment. It, it, begins, it begins with loving your neighbor as yourself. Why is that important? Because if I'm going to love my neighbor who is different than me, right, who is a different ethnicity than me, who is different gender than me, I have to be carefully aware of the particular ways in which this world has constructed a society and culture that, 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 that oppresses them, that makes them feel inferior, and that demonizes them. And the reason I have to be aware of this is because, because I've grown up in this world, I can unintentionally do what the world is doing if I'm not careful. So we cannot afford to sit idly by and be ignorant and be lazy and not be informed of how the world is racist and sexist. Because when we are that lazy and when we are, are, are blissfully ignorant, it comes at the expense of our neighbors. It does, right? And, 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 and if we're making the commitment to love our neighbor as ourselves, I have to be fully aware of how my language, my actions, and my words can potentially inflict harm to someone else, right? Because the last thing I want to do is inflict harm. But if that's the last thing you want to do, then, baby, you, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. You got to be well-read. You got to be informed. You have to understand the particular ways in which the world operates, right? And, and, and believe me when I say this, right, mistakes will happen, right? Flawed. We, we're, we're flawed people. We will make mistakes, but <laughs> because we're Christians, we have doctrines for that. We have categories for that. If someone makes a mistake or they sins against you, what do we do? What do we do? We forgive. We love. We show grace. This is who we are as Christians. So why would that not apply to this issue? But, but hear, me, hear, me, hear me also. Just because I show grace towards you doesn't give you an out to say whatever you want. It doesn't give you an out to be lazy. What does Paul say? Since grace abounds, should we sin more? Absolutely not. No. But since I'm showing you grace, that ought to make you want to work harder. That ought to make you want to love me. That ought to make you want to really pursue what it means to love me fully and completely. Since I am showing you grace, right? And we live in a world that, that where our brothers and sisters have to live in a discriminatory and oppressive world because of their race and because of their gender. And in this place, in this here place, they should find refuge. They should find safety. They should find love fully. And they should feel free to be their complete selves because that's how God created them. And if we cannot do that as the church, how can we ever expect the world to do that? We have to lead in this issue, not because we want to be a woke MSNBC liberal, 
not because we want to be a radical feminist, but because we want to love our neighbors. Because I want to love my brother and sister just like Christ loves me. That's why we do this. Easy to embrace this vision, but it's harder to live it out. And you know what, church? Let me, let me, can I be honest? I think we have the impulse to do this. I think that we have the heart to do this, but it takes work, right? It, it, it doesn't just start with having a heart for it. It doesn't just start with embracing it. We got to inform ourselves. We got to educate ourselves so that we can love each other well. That's what we want to do, right? Ain't nobody ain't trying to be no critical race theorist, right? It's absurd. I get so sick of hearing that, y'all. It's absurd. I'm trying to be no critical race theorist. I'm trying to love my brother and sister well. And that's what it means to live out a multi-ethnic community. One thing to embrace it, something entirely different to live it out. And we can do this through the power of the spirit that indwells within us. We can do this because we genuinely believe we have language that the world thinks it has. We know that there is inherent dignity, inherent worth in every human being. Why? Because they were created in the image of God. The world wished it had that, that starting point. We have it. So let's live it out. Let's be about it and not just say it. Right? Christ died and purchased by his blood every tribe, every kingdom, every language. Pastor Obed this morning, he's, uh, and, 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 and Sister Millie, they sang a song, uh, Great Are You, Lord. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Obed. So, y'all know when it says, it's your breath in our lungs? The Spanish rendering for that is, it's your breath in our being. Don't that hit different? It's your breath, like, like, like your, your, your power, your spirit indwells not just my lungs, but my entire being. The English don't get that right, dog. I'm sorry. The Spanish, that's lit. Like, your breath, it, 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 it consumes my entire being. That's why God says I created language because I'm going, I'm going to teach you that different languages can lead to revelation, Right? And, and, and that revelation can draw you closer to me. It can make you more, more spiritually mature. So you have to embrace that, right? That blessed me. That blessed me, right? So this is why he, God cares. This is why God created all these languages, because there's beauty in diversity. There's beauty, beauty, beauty in difference if we embrace it and live it out. Jesus dies. He dies for a multi-ethnic, multicultural in a more just world for all people to dwell in, right? Let's keep going. Then he says, second song, then I looked, there it is, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, conquering king, to receive power, wealth, Wisdom, might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. You know, I love this kind of thing. John, it's very obvious at times that he's lost for words, right? He looks out. He said, oh, my God, there's so many people. There are thousands. There are 
myriads. There, uh, it's just so many people, right? Just worshiping. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Walk out of here today, church, understanding and knowing that you worship a king who was scarred, a king who was wounded. And this king says, my wounds means that I conquered. Mm. My wounds makes me the most powerful king to ever live. That's what my wounds mean. Don't you cry for my wounds because my wounds saved you. (laughs) Don't you cry for my scars because my scars heal you. Don't you cry because I made it. I became victorious. And that can be your story. That is our story. Our wounds and our scars will lead to ultimate victory. It will lead to ultimate, eternal redemption and victory. That's our story. That is the grand tradition that we are a part of. Because we serve a conquering king who was a lamb that was slain. And and this lamb is going to receive all power, all wealth, all wisdom, right? And might and honor and glory and blessing. Let's go to the next one. This is the last hymn, I think. Yes, the last one. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing, honor, and glory might forever and ever. This time, John is getting a little bit better with his language. So, yeah, he was like, yeah, maybe it wasn't thousands. So let's try to capture it all, right? He says, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea, all of creation, (laughs) worship the Lamb because he is going to set them free. All of creation, worship the Lamb because he ultimately is going to redeem them. He ultimately is going to restore them. Creation, not just humanity, creation can't wait for the new world. Grass wasn't built to die in the fall, even though it's, like, beautiful. I ain't going to lie. But it wasn't built to do that, though, right? It was built to live and to flourish. So I can't, so, so you, you can literally hear the grass saying, I want the new world. I want life. I'm sick of death. I don't want to die anymore. Give me life. All of creation is singing. Worthy and glory is the Lamb. And their response, amen. And the elders, what? They fell down and they worshiped. So in conclusion, I want us to leave this series with revelation glasses, if you will, right? I want us to leave this series understanding that things are not as they seem, right? Understanding that my present circumstances are not simply what they are in themselves. But we have to set our present circumstances in light of unseen future realities and in light in, in, uh, unseen future, future, unseen future realities and in light of present rea- future realities, right? Both and unseen future realities, right? I know where I'm going. These scars. These wounds, this journey, I'm going to a place where there'll be no more crying. 
or there'll be no more death, or there'll be no more sadness, right? I have to stay connected, and I got to keep walking. I got to keep moving, right? And because I have the Spirit of God right now, my, my, my notion of victory, my notion of success radically changed, right? My notion of victory is rooted in what God has for me and not in what I want for myself. It's rooted in what God is going to do through me and is not rooted in what I want to do for myself, right? It is rooted in having access to the presence of God and the blessings of God and not having the worldly successes that this earth says makes you successful, that this world says makes you plentiful. It's radically flipped. Because we're living through a spiritual lens that says always look to the future and be, be encouraged in the now that, that, that you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. And the spirit is comforting you. He's guiding you and counseling you on your way to glory, on your way to a place where there will be no more. No more sin, no more sadness, no more death. Let us live our lives in that hope. Let us live our lives in that joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the truth of God is my strength. Let us live in that, church. Let us live. Let's pray. As the worship team comes back up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the conquering king. 